The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. If you remain standing and turn in your Bibles, the Gospel of Matthew, we're in chapter 12 this morning, this is page 816, if you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, we continue to make our way through this. Gospel, Matthew chapter 12, our verses this morning are verses 1 through 14. So let's listen carefully and worship the Lord in the way we receive his word this morning. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of God. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, Your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep... If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's seek the Lord and ask his blessing upon that word as it comes to us. Let's pray. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your word, O Lord, will never pass away. Bless us, Lord God, then, as we receive it again this morning. Come to us, we pray, by your spirit. Would you enlighten our minds to understand and our hearts to receive it? By it, please strengthen our faith and further enable us to die into sin and to live unto righteousness even in union with our resurrected Savior, Christ Jesus. It's in his name that we do pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, friends, do you feel well-rested this morning? Do you like this is a week in which you have been refreshed and energized for the morning? I hope you were able to rest well on Thanksgiving. Maybe you're a bit... Tired out. I guess Thanksgiving can involve a lot of work. But I, I, in asking the question, I'm, I'm build, picking up on that, that invitation which concluded the sermon last week. We saw at the end of chapter 11 that marvelous invitation. Our Lord, Lord's words: "Come to me, all you who are labor, all you who labor and are heavy laden, <clears throat> and I will give you rest." What a marvelous invitation that is, friends. Are you resting? in your Savior. It's no coincidence that this Sabbath controversy passage immediately follows that invitation. The Sabbath Sabbath institution was, of course, all about rest, wasn't it? 
rest. Oh, how we all need feel the need for rest. Maybe we feel it on, on many different levels. I don't know what particular things in your life might have you feeling worn out and tired. Maybe you're struggling with a particularly difficult relationship of yours. Maybe you're dealing with a really challenging situation at work. Maybe you're battling some chronic illness in your life. Uh, any number of things can have us feeling like, I'm, I'm sick of this, I'm tired of this. And it can affect your relationship with the Lord, can't it? You find that you're not, you're not doing the thing we were commanded to do in that very text. You're not, you're not resting in him. Maybe you have an unhealthy perspective on, on the Lord's commandments. Maybe you view the Lord as, as someone of, something of, an, uh, of a cruel taskmaster, one who gives you nothing but impossible demands, more bricks, more bricks, right? Well, the truth is that, that Christian discipleship, I think, involves a lifetime of learning to rest in the Lord, to, to live as, as the Lord's disciple, is to learn to rest in him. And that part of that involves learning who he is, learning what kind of Lord he is. And certainly we learn that in Matthew's gospel, don't we? I think we saw that very much last time with that kind invitation. And I think we continue to see that in our text today as, as we see the way that Jesus is challenged by the Pharisees with respect to the Sabbath. Both in his teaching and in his healing, he responds to this confrontation in a way which which so marvelous, marvelously teaches us about, about him and therefore teaches us about what it's like to live in his kingdom as his kingdom disciples. We see in our text that he makes a, a couple of what really would have been shocking claims. He claims to be greater than the temple, verse 6, and Lord of the Sabbath, verse 8. But all of this speaks to the question, who is this one who offers us this rest. Our message this morning is this, the invitation unto rest comes from the Christ who is greater than the temple and Lord of the Sabbath. Greater than the temple, Lord of the Sabbath, he's the great one. I want us to consider his person, his greatness this morning. We consider this message by noting three things about him. We're going to consider his, his authority over the Sabbath Secondly, we'll consider his rightful application, then, of the Sabbath law. And lastly, we'll consider his kind Sabbath lordship. That's what's before us this morning. Consider first, then, his authority over the Sabbath. We can, we can think of this in terms, both in terms of something we've been seeing in the Gospel of Matthew, both his authority as eternal God, as well as his authority as the God-man Messiah, the Messiah who is on his messianic mission. This eternal God, of course, Jesus is the very one who gave the Sabbath command. And as the God-man Messiah, he's the one who comes and he, he fulfilled the Sabbath commandment. He fulfilled the Sabbath with perfect obedience. Jesus is the one who came and he fulfilled, he finished his six days of work as it is. And then, as it were, and then he, he entered into that Sabbath rest, which the Lord calls us to as his people. He, he fulfills everything that was promised in the Sabbath institution. And that, you see, is why he could say, indeed, come unto me and I will give you rest. We enter into that rest in Christ, don't we? We enter into that rest 
by faith in him. We, 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 we rest in him by trusting in him. And we trust in him as the one who indeed has, has all authority. His authority is proven by his word and his works. We, 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 we've seen the way that when Jesus taught, he taught as one who had authority. In fact, the people were astonished by the, the fact that he, he did so. He taught as one who had authority, not like the scribes, not like the religious leaders. We saw that in chapter 7. We saw that his, his works, we've seen that his works are proof of his authority. We saw in chapter 9 that he, he healed a paralyzed man as, as proof of his authority to forgive sins. And here again, Jesus is wonderfully revealed as the authoritative one. Well, how, that, how could that do anything but set him on a collision course with the religious uh, leaders as they impose their authority, the religious authorities? And that's what we see happening in chapter 12 here, really the first 40, uh, 45 verses here. Jesus is, is confronted and his authority is challenged by the religious authorities. So in our text this morning, it's over the Sabbath. It's an important question then is, who has the authority to determine just what is lawful on the Sabbath? Now, what instigates this first confrontation? Well, we see that that Christ's disciples were out in the grain fields and they were hungry. And so we see that they began to, to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And we should note that this was not stealing. The law had gracious provisions for the poor. It was allowing, uh, it allowed the poor to do the very things that the disciples were doing in this passage. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25 says, if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. I think in some ways we can say the idea is that you were permitted to help yourself to a snack, but you were not to take any of it home with you, right? The, the previous verse in Deuteronomy spoke with reference to grapes and said you may eat grapes, but don't put them in your, your sack to take them home with you. And, and so the Pharisees here, were, were, they weren't accusing the disciples of Christ uh, of stealing. For them, this was not an Eighth Commandment issue. This was a Fourth Commandment issue. Yet along those same lines, I think that, that Jesus could have rightly said, look, they're not going out and harvesting the grain here. They're not, they're not taking sacks and, and hauling away sacks of grain to store in their barns. I think he really could have said this. they were simply having a, a Sabbath day snack. But that's not what Jesus does here. Rather, he responds by speaking with respect to this question of authority. And again, Matthew will, will show us Christ's authority, not only as eternal God, yes, Jesus is God indeed, to, to claim to be Lord of the Sabbath. Lord of Sabbath certainly was, I think, a clear claim of deity. But Matthew also shows us that, that merited lordship of Christ. Matthew will show us that, that all authority will be given to Jesus by virtue of his finished work, his death, and resurrection, he will be given all authority on heaven, uh, in heaven and on earth. And indeed, as we saw last time, chapter 11, verse 27, we saw that, that all things had already been handed over to him by his Father. I think we might say that the, the merits of Christ's finished work tra- powerfully transcend time, and he's enjoying, he's uh, acting on those merits, that authority, even during his earthly ministry. 
I think we can say that he possessed that authority for the purpose of carrying out his mission, that mission given him to him by the Father. That was a mission which was infinitely greater than, than any mission the, the, the first King David ever went on. Isn't that true? I think that's kind of the, the point that Jesus makes in our text here, where he see that he, we see that he appeals to 1 Samuel chapter 21 and the time when, when David was sort of on a mission. David was fleeing from King Saul, you might recall, and he went to Nob and, and asked for bread from the priest Ahimelech. Why was it that, that Ahimelech was willing to give David bread, which would not have been, uh, ordinarily would not have been lawful to give? Well, I think it was because of who David was and because of what David was doing. You may recall that David told Ahimelech that he'd been charged with a certain matter to attend to, that it was an urgent matter. Leave alone for, for the moment the fact that David was, was fibbing about that, but, but just considering this from Ahimelech's perspective. This was, this was David. This was God's anointed king. This was the one who was the heir to the throne. This was, this was Saul's special emissary here sent out on something of a holy mission. Of course, this warranted an exceptional use of the holy bread to do with that bread something that you would not ordinarily do. I do, I do think more, more generally we, we understand that there are times when it is legitimate to commit something which would be ordinarily be considered a, a violation of the law when done so in, for, for, in the service of a higher principle. If your wife suddenly goes into labor in the middle of the night, not such an such a, a, a irrelevant uh, illustration to use as we've had, had so many babies recently, right? I, I, my, my guess is that you men, as you're driving, rushing your wife to the hospital, you're not going to be quite as concerned to follow the, uh, the traffic laws as you might ordinarily be, right? You might even be willing to, to roll a stop sign or even, if it's safe to do so, even run a, a red light, right? And it's not to condone reckless, dangerous driving, but, but there's a context in which you have a, a higher priority than strict obedience to the traffic laws. For the sake of your, your wife and, for your, and your child, you're on a holy mission, as it were. Well, if such violations would, would, would be considered uh, legitimate or in general, then certainly they were so for Christ, the, the son of David King, who was on this, this uniquely great and glorious mission, that great mission of, of, of saving the world. That, that took precedence, precedence over everything. Certainly, uh, uh, the, carrying out his messianic work was not Sabbath violation. The laws were, were never intended to be so strictly binding, right? They certainly were never intended to bind and prevent the, the Messiah from fulfilling his mission, accomplishing that great saving work which was his not any more than they were intended to prevent the temple priests from carrying out their priestly duties on the Sabbath day. That's the point that Jesus makes in verse 5, where he says that, that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless. It might, might seem like the, 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 the priests are treating the Sabbath day as if it's just any other day, right? They just continue doing their their work like they always do. That's what it means to profane the day, treat it as common, as if it's, there's nothing holy about it. But, but, but that's because of the holy religious character of the work of the priests. Priestly activity is holy work. It's, it's worship 
work, isn't it? Well, Jesus could rightly claim that, that everything he did was priestly. Indeed, the, the, the temple itself was a type and shadow of him and the work that he had come to do as our great high priest, the Lamb of God, who had come to take away all of the sins of the world. Jesus is indeed the fulfillment of everything that the temple, everything that pertained to the temple. He is indeed greater than the temple. And yes, he's indeed Lord of the Sabbath. Hence his authority, yes, his authority as God, but his authority as the God-man Messiah and his authority, therefore, over the Sabbath. And, And out of that authority, which is his, we see then secondly, our second point this morning, his rightful application of the Sabbath law. To him, the Messiah Christ, the one who is given all authority, certainly belongs the law and the rightful application of the law, and yes, the Sabbath law. There are a number of ways in which we can say that that was true, but note in this context how it's, it's shown true in contrast with the gross misapplication of the Sabbath law by these religious leaders. You know, there, there were extensive extensive elaborations about the Sabbath commandments, all of the commandments, no doubt, but but the rabbis were given to endless discussions about just what was and what was not permitted on the Sabbath day, and it's clear from our text that as they saw it, people were bound by their conclusions, by their traditions, and so they were were quick to to condemn Christ and his disciples for their alleged infraction of picking and eating grain on the Sabbath. And as we see in in the next interaction in the synagogue, verse 9 and following, they were quite eager to do do so also with respect to healing. They asked Jesus, is it lawful? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Matthew tells us that they asked this so that they might accuse him. We know how they would have answered that question. They were quick, to, they were ready to answer that question. For them, clearly, a healing fell into a category of things not permissible on the Sabbath, especially a case like this, right? A withered hand? This was no medical emergency. No one was bleeding and dying, right? Surely, surely this was a healing which should wait until the Sabbath is over. And so this was something of a kind of a perfect test case here. Surely this will show that that Jesus is a guilty sinner and will be right in condemning him. Well, they were wrong. They They were condemning the guiltless by their work here, as it says in verse 7. So Jesus exposes their traditions, their misapplications of the law. He exposes them as being contrary to the scriptures. Note that 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 question twice we see, have you not read, verse 3, and again, verse 5. And then we see those, those words in verse 7. And if you had known what this means. We'll look further at what he says there, but note that Jesus is saying that your problem is either you've not read the scriptures or you've not understood the scriptures. You've not known what this means. Their rules, then, were contrary to the scriptures. And they were contrary to common sense. He asks them in verse 12, which one of you, if you, who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? As an interesting side note to this, ironically, we do have examples of rabbinical teachings which defy such common, fe- uh, common sense. 
There was one such ruling at Qumran which actually stated that if an animal falls into a well or into a pit, you may not lift it out on the Sabbath. That it had really thought through this scenario. There were there were some writings stating that it, you couldn't lift the animal out, but you could throw down articles that might help the animal climb out on its own. I said, no, you can't do anything to help the animal out, but you can throw down, you can feed it and maybe water it to preserve its life until after the Sabbath is over. Can you imagine, children, if, if we went by that rule today, it's the Lord's Day, and maybe your dog falls down into the hole and you're told, nope, it's the Lord's Day. Throw down dog kibble, maybe give water, but you have to leave your poor dog down there whimpering uh, until the Sabbath, until the Lord's Day is over. So much for making the day a joy and a delight, right? In Jesus' day, it seems that there was greater tolerance than that. Rabbinical teachings were obviously subject to change. Older schools of thought could be replaced by newer ones, but apparently that did not keep the religious leaders from strictly imposing upon the people whatever happened to be the prevailing uh, tradition at the time. And, And what was the effect of all of this? Well, again, as we saw it last week, right? The people to whom Jesus was coming and offering rest was indeed a people who were heavy laden. They were laboring under the great burden of such traditions, such teachings. How marvelous it is that we, we, we are not so bound, are we? Consider your freedom in Christ this morning. Dear Christian, is it not marvelous that in Christ you have been set free from such things? That we, we are not bound by human traditions. We're not bound by rules that are based on human traditions rather than the word of Christ. Jesus is the one who is our authority. Jesus is the one who applies the law to us. No one has the right to uh, impose upon you any yoke of commandments which are not of him. In fact, we're bound by the clear command of the Lord Jesus not to submit to any such rules. Think about his command through the Apostle Paul. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Clearly, in that context, of course, the Galatian Judaizers were seeking to oppose the aspects of the ceremonial law, circumcision on the Gentile Christians. Clearly, they were wrong in doing so, but there's even, I think, more, more generally than that, a, a more general application This is a good reminder to us who are church leaders, those who are shepherds of Christ's sheep. And this is a a good reminder for all of us. We we are to be careful not to be those who are sort of imposing upon one another spiritual rules which are not commanded by Christ. Certainly that's true with respect to the Sabbath commandment and the details of what, what Lord's Day observance ought to look like. I'm not suggesting that there's no place for thinking through how to make the day holy, thinking through what, what activities would and would not be appropriate on the Lord's Day. We certainly ought to do that. But I think we would all agree that it would be a dangerous thing for us to sort of take our particular conclusions that we come to and sort of turn them into canon law and be imposing them on others as well. That, that, that's exactly what the Pharisees wanted to do, Right? They wanted to think through. They wanted to have a written rule for every possible scenario. Nothing, nothing was to be left to private judgment. 
And truthfully, too often what they were actually doing was imposing their rules on others and finding convenient reasons why they themselves did not have to follow those rules, right? Do as I say, but not as I do. Well, it resulted in a bondage, and it was a bondage which was completely contrary to the Sabbath command. How ironic. If we stop and think about it, what was the reason that God gave the Sabbath command to his people? One important reason, the particular reason given in the Deuteronomy chapter 5 statement of the Decalogue, was that they were, they were to rest remembering that they had been slaves in Egypt, but that the Lord had set them free, right? Rest into that freedom unto which the Lord has redeemed you. And so these Pharisees were actually trampling all over that very commandment by, by sort of exchanging one form of bondage for another form of bondage and imposing that upon the people. The Sabbath command was about freedom. And that's how the Lord would have us view the Sabbath commandment today, isn't it? The Lord's day. It's supposed to be a day of freedom, of rest, of finding it to be a joy and a delight. As we, yes, we set aside our cares and, we, and our employments and we rest in the Lord. But what a day of freedom and of enjoyment of that freedom that we have in Christ. And we are able to do that when we understand that he is Lord. When we understand his rightful application of the law to us. Not only as the one who is the eternal God, but as our Savior, the God-man, Messiah, the law comes to us. It comes to us from his gracious hand. He has the right to apply the Sabbath commandment to us. That, by the way, is, is, is why it is that we're here worshiping not on the, the last day of the week, but on the first day of the week, the day on which our Lord was raised from the dead. We do so according to his commandment, the apostolic command and example, Acts chapter 20, verse 7, and so forth. This is our Our Lord's Day, Sabbath rest, Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. And it's our Lord's kind command to us that on this day and indeed all of our days, we learn to rest in him. Not that we live in slavish fear to one we conceive as sort of a cruel master. No, we we learn of what he is truly like. And what is he like? Well, that brings us to our last point this morning, the last thing which, which we consider about Jesus is we see his kind Sabbath lordship. His kind Sabbath lordship. I, I use that word kind. I could have chosen the word merciful. That's what we see in verse 7, right? In this, this very context in which he reveals his Sabbath lordship. Here again we see him citing the words of the prophet of Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus, you may recall, cited those words back in chapter 9, verse 13. There he was, uh, he was speaking to the Pharisees. They were condemning him for eating with tax collectors and sinners. And you may recall that he said, go and learn. Learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That's why I'm speaking of, in terms of our duty to, to go and to to learn the blessing of learning of the mercy of our God, the blessing of, of the blessing of doing what the Pharisees failed to do. They didn't come. They failed to come to know what this means. Mercy. That word mercy. It's the 
the Septuagint rendering of the Hebrew word chesed, which can mean steadfast love. And so it, it speaks of the Lord and his, his commitment to, his unwavering faithfulness to his covenant, his, his covenant promises, his promises to bless, to show mercy, mercy, not sacrifice. What does that mean? Well, the word sacrifice in this context can refer to religious practices. These Pharisees were strictly enforcing their worship rituals, their, their, their Sabbath-keeping traditions, which were contrary to God's word, and they knew nothing of the Lord's mercy. It's evident by the fact that they would have been happy to let the disciples go hungry on the Sabbath day, right? And they would have been happy to allow this man with this withered hand to to keep on suffering because, after all, this is the Sabbath day. No mercy on the Sabbath, right? Just think about that. Think about the the, the symbolism here of being, being healed, being liberated in this way from the enslaving effects of sin. I mean, what a, what a marvelously appropriate use of the Sabbath, very much in keeping with all that the Sabbath represented. To think that here a man was right there, right there in the, in the synagogue, in the presence of the Messiah, the very one who, who represented the fulfillment of all of God's covenant promises of mercy. I mean, Jesus was the the supreme revelation, was he not, of the Lord's chesed, his steadfast love, which endures forever. And how marvelously that turned out to be proven true by our text before us this morning when Jesus turned to that man, yes, on the Sabbath day, and he said to him, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched out his hand, and it was healed. It was healthy, just like the other one. But to think that the Pharisees opposed this, They didn't want Jesus to heal that man, right? They wanted the man to just continue suffering. I mean, how how could you be more contrary to to the the, the Sabbath and contrary to God's mercy? Actually, no, it was worse than that, wasn't it? They wanted Jesus to heal this man so that they could accuse him, so that they could destroy him. And that's the way our text ends this morning. Amazing. Amazing. We know, of course, how this plays itself out. They would indeed conspire against him. They would, they would destroy him. But we know that all of this was part of God's great saving plan. Jesus was doing all of this for you and for me. Just think about that this morning as we draw to a close here. Think about what our Lord was willing to endure, indeed, to become for us a kind Sabbath Lord, talk about one willing to be heavy laden. For you and me, Jesus was willing to to suffer under the weight of these scribal distortions of the Lord, not that he felt bound to keep them, but the fact that he was willing to suffer from these very ones who condemned him, condemned him even to death. And in fact, Jesus was willing to suffer as one who had truly broken God's laws. He took upon himself the, the weight of the guilt of all of our sins. He was willing to do all this in order to lead us into that eternal rest which God has prepared for us. Indeed, it is in Christ that God shows mercy through sacrifice. And we marvel this morning and glory in the truth and rest in the the hope that that the, 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 the finished, the fruit of his finished 
work is so wonderfully shown forth this morning. Just think, a world where, we, where there will be no hunger, where we will, we will forever be fed and satisfied by, by his wonderful bounty, freely made to dwell in a world where there will be no longer any sickness, no men with withered hands, where all of us will be well in body and soul, and we will find that perfect rest as we live in, in, in the presence of our Savior forever and ever. Brothers and sisters of Christ was willing to do all this for us. How could we ever view him as a, as a cruel taskmaster, as one who places burdens upon us? Not at all. Do you see your Lord that way this morning, dear Christian? If you see your, way, your Lord that way, if, you fail to, if you're failing to be able to rest in his mercy this morning, then you and I, we need to do what he tells us to do here. Go and learn. Learn of this one. Who is this Jesus? This one who calls us to rest in him. He is the one with all authority over and the one who rightly applies to us the Sabbath. He's the one who fulfills the Sabbath for us. He's the one who indeed comes to us and feeds us and heals us. He's the one who loves us. He's the one who regards us as infinitely more valuable than any sheep, Jesus. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. And yes, he is to us a kind Sabbath Lord. How could we ever view him as any kind of a a burden-imposing taskmaster? And how could we ever be such for one another? Just think about that. One last word of application in closing this morning. I think, I think Paul's command to the Galatians, I referred earlier to Galatians 5, but I think his command in Galatians chapter 6 speaks so wonderfully to the way, that, to way in which in our dealings with one another we're called to be the opposite of what the Pharisees were in this text. Galatians chapter 6, if you'd like to see this yourself, I'm just going to read from the beginning of Galatians chapter 6. Both of the Galatian Judaizers were being a bit like the Pharisees and their wrongful, impo- uh, wrongful imposition of the law. Well, in light of this, what was Paul commanding the believers to be like? Listen to what he wrote, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. He wrote, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, notice that. See, the Pharisees, they were being harsh and condemning when there was no transgression. Here, when there is a true transgression, what is the command of Christ? Deal with each other. Deal with each other as I have dealt with you. Deal with what with each other in that, that, spirit, that spirit of gentleness, like your Savior who is lowly and gentle, gentle and lowly. Paul continues, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted, understand your own sinfulness, right? Your own weakness. But then listen to verse 2. Talk about the, the, the polar opposite of laying imposing burdens upon one another, which are, which are contrary to the law of Christ. What does Paul actually write? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Is that not marvelous? By the grace of Christ in union with Christ, the one who fulfills the Sabbath commandment for you. Learn from him. Learn from him. And by his grace, go ye therefore and be just like him. May God help us to do just that. Let's pray together.
Lord, we do pray indeed that you would so work in us, sanctifying us by your word as it's come to us this morning. We praise and thank you that you have given to us in Christ Jesus a Sabbath, Lord, who is so kind, so full of mercy to us. Would you teach us, yes, this morning, teach us in our lives, Lord God. Help us to learn to rest in him. And as we do that, Lord, more and more would you make us to be like him, sources of refreshment and blessing to one another, this to the end, Lord God, that your great name would be blessed and glorified in us, your people. To that end, Father, take your word by your spirit, conform us unto the image of our Savior. It's in his name that we do pray. Amen.